The Olympics are back, and so are we. I'm Steve Brown. And I'm Thomas Bradley. This is After the Score. Welcome to After the Score, 89.7's weekly look at sports. I'm Steve Brown here with Thomas Bradley, and it is great to be back from our summer break. In our first show back, Thomas talks with some members of the Ohio State powerlifting team that's fresh off a world title, and they will answer the question, why do weightlifters grunt so much? Sometimes it's a little more than a grunt, too. We'll also get an update on the Ohio State football team, and they started camp this week with a lot of highly touted but still unproven freshmen. But first, it is late summer in a leap year, so that means the Summer Olympics mm. are underway, and there are some Central Ohio natives looking to medal. Ohio State is represented with wrestler Kyle Snyder and former football player Nate Ebner, who's playing rugby seven. And there's Abby Johnston, the Upper Arlington native and former Duke University diver, won silver in London four years ago in synchronized diving, but she's going solo this time. Thomas and I caught up with her via Skype this week from Rio to ask her about the event change. The synchronized event um, involves two easy dives and three harder dives, whereas individual, you have to do five hard dives. So for the past few years, I've been perfecting the two other dives that I needed to give me the edge as an individual diver. And um, that was something that Four years ago, I wasn't strong enough to be an individual competitor, and I'm really proud of myself for for the hard work that I put in to get myself to this point and compete individually. That was um, my goal after the last Olympics was to make it back as an individual diver. Uh, what exactly is a, is a quote-unquote hard dive? What does that mean? So when you watch synchronized diving, the first two dives that you do are generally just like a front dive. Like you jump in the air and you get into a pike and then you dive, um, whereas Individually, you have to do two and a half or three and a half flips. So it's a lot more flipping and it um, it, it takes a lot more strength and, and skill. You're at uh, Duke University now as a med student. And talk about how it was like training for the Olympics and getting there while also training to be a doctor. So I think my undergraduate um, as uh, a student at Duke University really prepared me well to uh, balance the demands of both Olympic training and medical school. And for me, it was actually easier to do as a medical student because in some regards it was easier um, because everything that I was learning feels pertinent to my lifelong career. Whereas undergrad, you have to take some classes just to fulfill your matrix and check off some boxes. Um, and so I wasn't always engaged in in the classes that didn't go relevant. But um, med school, you know, everything I'm learning, I'm engaged in, I'm interested in, and I feel like I'm going to use it for the rest of my life. Um, so in that regard, I I think going to medical school was a great break um, from the physical demands of diving, and going to diving was a good um, release for from the stress of medical school. So I drank a lot of coffee, and uh, that's how I'd get through some of the long, hard days, but um, it all paid off. Do you make everyone you hang around with feel lazy by being a med student and a, an Olympic <laughs> diver? No, I think that there's this misconception that I might be like some sort of superhero that's able to do both. Um, but I'm also like very lazy. Like on Sundays, I like to do what's called sloth Sunday. And I try to do less than 500 steps on my Fitbit. Um, so I, I'm also, I can be really lazy. So I don't think I like intimidate anyone. Outside of diving, you did recently get engaged, uh, so congratulations on that. You talked about your sloth Sundays. I saw that you like to, to eat fast food every Sunday. What are some of your other hobbies? How do you kind of unwind and, and detach yourself from diving when you need to? 
Um, I have a great group of friends in Durham, North Carolina, um, in med school and also some friends that were in the business school. So I love cooking and hanging out with them and going on walks or um, hanging out with my fiance. I also, my guilty pleasure is watching The Bachelor or Bachelorette. So um, yeah, I watch TV, hang out. I feel like I'm a very normal 20 something year old that also happens to do med school in the Olympics. And you've been competing at a major level now since 2005. How much how much longer are you going to be competitively diving, do you think? This is my last competition. I'm really um, – it's bittersweet to hang up the suit, um, but I'm ready to be done and, and focus solely on med school and planning my wedding and, um, yeah, just being being a fan of the sport from the sidelines from now on or from after Sunday on. We've seen a lot of a lot of stories about dorms uh, down there in Rio having some some issues, uh, also some issues with the water quality. Uh, how has your experience in Rio been? I think that Rio has um, unfairly gotten a lot of bad press, and people are dwelling on the negative aspects. But it's actually been really fantastic down here. Our apartments are really nice. Um, I'd say it's no different than moving into a brand new set of dorms. There's inevitably going to be some problems when you open up. 34 apartment buildings at once. Um, but uh, so far, Team USA's building has has been working just fine. And I mean, it's a beautiful, beautiful venue, beautiful place. Um, and I'm, I'm just really impressed on how they've pulled this all off. Abby Johnston is an Upper Arlington native who's competing in the women's three-meter springboard competition in the Rio Olympics. That competition starts Friday afternoon. Abigail Johnston, uh, thanks for joining us and best of luck in Rio. Thank you so much. The Ohio State football team is fresh off a big Fiesta Bowl win over Notre Dame and two years removed from their national title. But it's a very different looking team this year. Yeah, it really is. Of last year's 22 starters, 16 either graduated or left early for the pros. That leaves a lot of holes to fill, but the cupboard certainly is not empty. There's a lot of talent on this roster. Lots of turnover, but the most important player is back. We sat down with Eric Sager from the OSU football site 11 Warriors to talk about what a veteran quarterback in JT Barrett means to this young team. Kind of starts and stops with him this season, especially right now in fall camp because there's so much unproven talent around him. But you got a, a guy that's you know directing the offense and kind of the face of your program, and, and it's really it's his baby right now. And there's no issue, there's no question about it. And you know, last year with Cardell Jones and the whole quarterback competition there was that went on and through October it's it felt like and and he he's the guy now so that is a big big piece that Ohio State is really fortunate to have back last year we were talking about how there were two quarterbacks there were five or six wide receivers H backs Braxton Miller moving around maybe a quarterback maybe an H back the only thing solid last year was the running back position. Right. But the running back position this year is not Ezekiel Elliott. Talk about what's going on in the backfield. Yeah, you know, Ezekiel Elliott, top five pick of the Dallas Cowboys. He's probably going to start this season for them in the NFL. And kind of the guy to replace him right now is Mike Weber after Ohio State dismissed fifth-year senior Briante Dunn after an alleged incident just before camp began. So, you know, Weber Weber's kind of the guy right now, and, and, and he's a redshirt freshman from Detroit. He was a big-time commit. And he was supposed to contribute last year before he got hurt during camp. So, And expect Curtis Samuel and Dontre Wilson to get the ball a lot too, provided they can stay healthy because Urban has said he wants to use the H-back position more and more in the run game um, because a guy like a horse like Ezekiel Elliott is no longer there. So, you know, I kind of expect those three guys to be really involved. 
What kind of back is Mike Weber Jr.? Is he closer to Curtis Samuel or closer to Ezekiel Elliott? Um, I would say he's closer to Michael. Uh, excuse me, to Curtis Samuel. He's 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 really not a big guy. He's you know he's only five foot ten, but he, but he's his his center of gravity is really low to the ground, and that's what a lot of people have been talking about as far as Barrett and and Urban Meyer too. Just how he's kind of a wrecking ball and and he's more a little bit kind of in the mold of maybe a Carlos Hyde but his thing is whether or not he can he can kind of do things in all phases like Zeke did last year can he run the ball can he pass block can he catch the ball can you know because that's a big thing to live up to but the the guy runs hard and and he's a very you know very small but very compact runner on the defensive side of the ball a lot of guys went to the NFL you Mm -hmm. obviously got Joey Bosa who's still holding out in San Diego as of right now uh, a couple linebackers gone, but the the core this season will be Raquan McMillan right. for the linebacker position. Talk about his leadership yeah, and what he needs to bring to the team. It's a little similar to J.T. Barrett, honestly, with uh, you know being the quarterback of the defense. And it's nice to have a guy that has played middle linebacker for a few years now. You know, he contributed a little bit as, as a freshman in 2014, but he he's he's not the most vocal guy as far as he just seems, he's a very serious kind of like being. But when when he gets on the on the football field, man, he. He expects excellence, and you know he's been kind of like pushed like that way the whole time of his life because he was a five-star recruit and a big-time get for Urban and, and Ohio State out of Georgia. So you know he he's got to take that step, and and Luke Fickle has of course all the confidence in the world for him to do that. Thomas mentioned Joey Bosa, who now plays for the San Diego Chargers. Right. His, little, his little brother Nick Bosa yeah. is among the incoming freshmen expected to get some playing time. Mm-hmm. That's if Nick Bosa is uh, fully healthy from his knee injury as a high school senior. Uh, talk about. What role Bosa and then you mentioned Mike Weber, maybe an Austin Mack, a receiver who's a right. true freshman, Michael Jordan who could start on the line for yeah. a tr- as a true freshman. Talk about – is this pretty rare? It seems rare that these true freshmen oh, yeah. are expected to contribute in such big ways. Without a doubt, especially Michael Jordan, the guy you mentioned on the offensive line. I mean that's that's an offensive line at a Big Ten school. You, you don't normally see that except for guys like Orlando Pace, you know, who's probably the, probably the best offensive lineman of all time. But Jordan is a is a huge guy. He's six foot seven and three hundred and twenty pounds and he really, really kinda, you know, gets after it. And that's I think what they're most excited about with him right now because he's still learning how to do things at Ohio State. But him coming in early was big. Um and then a guy you mentioned Nick Bosa. I mean he we got to watch practice a few times this week and and I don't see any restrictions with his knee. He has a, a big brace on there, but it's really kind of eerie how much he looks like Joey, just the way he walks and you know, pigeon-toed and the mannerisms, and he's wearing number 97. So it's it's kind of crazy how much they look the same. Um, but at receiver, Austin Mack is a, is a big-time big time player. I think that you know him also coming in in the spring was huge for his development. And, and one thing that's different about him than some of the other guys was he was a true wide receiver in high school. He did it his whole life. Ohio State needs that guy on the outside, maybe opposite of Noah Brown. Whether or not he can be that guy is, is kind of unknown, but he's really made some waves right now, and, and JT Barrett has spoke very highly of him. Getting back to Noah Brown, yeah. Yeah. that guy has – he might have all the potential in the world, but he hasn't done a lot. And they're talking yeah. about him being a true number one. I'm I'm a little surprised at the confidence they seem to be placing in him. Yeah, well, he – you know, everyone – it's a lot of talk right now because we haven't seen – you know, because he didn't play in the spring game because he was still coming off that horrific leg injury. But everyone has said that he's at the same position he was at this time a year ago before he broke his leg. So, you know, that's that's a big, big statement for him to make. But he's lost a ton of weight. He came in at like 245, I think, and now he's down to like 220 or so. And he's fit and he's he's got long arms, kind of like Michael Thomas. Not quite to that level, but 
you know, JT Barrett, he said at, at Big Ten Media Days, Noah Brown has suction cups for hands. So just kind of get him, get it hmm. in his realm and, and he'll bring it in. So th- there is a lot of hype around him, but I, you know, I, I expect kind of expect him to be the guy in the passing game as long as he can stay healthy. Ohio State comes in at the preseason AP number five. Yes. Is that a generous ranking or is that right about where you think they should be or do you think they will end up higher than that? I think it's a little bit generous just because we don't know anything so about this team so except JT Barrett, essentially. You know, yeah. and and it's it's you know, the pollsters to their credit and, and Urban Meyer I feel like has earned this, you know, fifteen four and four seasons and the way that he's recruited and all this talent that's there, it's all on potential and that's how preseason bowls go. You know, normally a lot of them come back and look like wrong at the end of the season, but you know, Ohio State has a ton of talent. It's just largely unproven. So I think five is a little high, but I definitely think that they're a top-ten team. They'll earn their five if they go to Oklahoma yep. and uh, win that game on the road in Norman. Yeah, and then, you know, and Urban kind of said, we're not talking about that yet. We're not talking about even, talk about even Bowling yeah, Green yet, about. but everyone's talking about that one because no offense to Bowling Green or to Tulsa. You Ohio, can offend Bowling Green. Ohio, it's fun. Ohio <laughs> State's going to beat them. Yeah, sorry, Steve. Ohio <laughs> State's going to beat them, and, and whether or not, we're going to find out a lot about this team in week three, you know, if because that's the first road game. Gaylord, or I think it's Gaylord Memorial Family Stadium is a tough place to play. Oklahoma, you know, went to the playoff last year. They got a Heisman Trophy candidate in Baker Mayfield. So that's that's the game. And it's, it's also one of those things, too, I think, where Ohio State could lose that game. And as long as they run the table in the Big Ten, they could be in the conversation for a national title run as well. Okay, now I'll carry the weight if they somehow lose to Bowling Green. It'll be my fault. <laughs> okay. Eric Sager from 11warriors.com should be an interesting season. Thanks for stopping in. Yep. Thanks, guys. Steve, what if I told you that Ohio State had a team that recently became international champions? What sport would you think I was talking about? Quidditch. I honestly don't know. I, I have no idea. Most sports compete for national titles in college. I, I, I don't know that I've ever heard of a college international championship. While it's not technically a varsity sport at Ohio State, it is a club sport. And the Ohio State powerlifting team recently traveled to Minsk, Belarus to compete against the world. That seems like a great place to have a powerlifting tournament. But they, they won it all, huh? They did win it all. And I brought in the coach of the Ohio State powerlifting team, John Downing, to talk about the competition and about the sport of powerlifting. So it was colleges, or most countries call them universities, from around the world um, competing. Uh, The meet itself was in uh, Minsk, Belarus, so if you don't know your geography, right next to Russia. Um, And it was the first meet of its kind for powerlifting, um, and it was really exciting to be able to take Ohio State to that competition. And there were 28 teams from 17 different countries, and Ohio Correct. State came out on top and won the, the national championship, yeah, or the so, international championship. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, for the guys, we uh, won the championship uh, on the girls' side because it is both uh, female and men competing. Uh, Northeastern University won it for the girls. Now, powerlifting isn't a varsity sport at Ohio State. It's Correct. a club sport. What, is, what does that mean for competing internationally, nationally, and and becoming a program. Right. So in, in being a club sport, we were recognized through the university. We can compete and say we're a part of Ohio State. Um, and it gives us a little bit of funding from the university, not a lot. Um, but it's great to be able to say that we do represent Ohio State. Um, on the international side of it, some countries, so say Belarus, um, all sports for them are more like a varsity sport because they actually have universities set up 
for sports-specific competition. Um, so that's kind of interesting to see that they have colleges that are meant just for sports. We're in the Olympics right now, but powerlifting itself is not an Olympic sport. Correct. Can you talk about their journey to get into the Olympics? Yes. Um, so powerlifting over the past uh, few decades has been trying to get in the Olympics. They have to apply to the IOC. Um, to get permission. And really what it is is when you look at the list of sports that are in the Olympics, it's about what can they take out to put powerlifting in. Um, so right now they have Olympic lifting, which is the cling and jerk and the snatch. So it's a two-sport competition or two lifts. Um, and then powerlifting itself would be three disciplines, so the squat, bench, and deadlift. So within the next you know decade or so, we hope to see powerlifting in there. Uh, a big part of that is to see the sport itself in even more countries. And we really think that university level uh, is a way to grow the sport in other countries. Real quick before I turn to David, in layman's terms, what's the difference between Olympic lifting and powerlifting? Yeah, for us, it's it's really the the discipline and the skill of the lift itself. Um, in Olympic lifting, you don't see as much weight being uh, lifted. Uh, it's because the skills of the lifts are a lot more technical. In powerlifting with the bench uh, squat and deadlift, you have three different disciplines, uh, but they're a lot easier to relate to because these are lifts that, you know, the Ohio State University football team are definitely training and doing in the gym. More weight room training type lifts. Right. I'm going to turn now to David Young. He is on the Ohio State powerlifting team, the one that won the international championship. David, talk about your journey into powerlifting. How did you get started? Sure. Um, I had been in and out of the gym for a lot of years before I started powerlifting. And the reason that I got drawn into it is because I came to a point where I was losing motivation to, to exercise and sustain shape. And I had to make a decision, what is it that I really want to do? And I decided at that point I would want to get as strong as I could. And so to that end, I thought, who's good at getting strong? And I was like, well, powerlifters are pretty darn good at that. So I found out that Ohio State had a team. And um, about two years ago, i that's when I first met John in the gym. And ever since then, he has been really instrumental in getting me to go down the correct path on how to be a good powerlifter with the right fundamentals and continue training in a smart way so that I can make progress as fast as possible. In your weight class, you secured seventh place in Minsk and secured mm -hmm. four points for Ohio State, mm -hmm. crucial in becoming the international champions. Mm -hmm. Talk about your trip to Minsk, but everything that happened there. So uh, our trip to Minsk was not without some complications. <laughs> uh, we had some travel delays that cost us some time, which cut it a little bit close for some of our lighter weight guys who had to lift earlier in the week. We had to change our flights significantly to make sure that uh, some of our guys got out there. But it was really a good experience to travel out there with the team and, and represent Ohio State. I think a lot of students or alumni would relish the opportunity to to represent not just their university, but the United States at, at a a time like this. So it was a really a great honor and uh, something that I'll definitely remember for the rest of my life. You're a PhD student in biomedical engineering yep. and uh, international powerlifting champion. Where do you see your future going from here? Um, I would like to stay uh, in powerlifting as long as I can. And um, I'd like to, once I graduate with my PhD, my goal is to get an industry job uh, using what I've learned at Ohio State and do that in such a way where I can continue training um, at the highest level possible and hopefully 
continue competing um, nationally and maybe even internationally in the future as well. Of the three disciplines, what's your favorite and or best one to, to lift? Um, that's a really tough question, <laughs> and I think most people will say sometimes that that changes as their training progresses. Um, for a long time, my bench press was probably my best, and I think a lot of people can relate to the bench press, having trained it uh, throughout many years, um, though that's probably one of the most technical lifts, and people might not realize that as well. Um, more recently, I think my squat has progressed a lot, and that's probably my favorite lift at the moment. So how much can you squat right now? How much did you squat in, in your in your meet? My squat is right around 500 pounds, and um, that's definitely something that's improved a lot. I think when I first started powerlifting, I was maybe around 350-pound squat. That's a, that's a lot of weight. <laughs> so, um, well, you should uh, – John is the same weight class as me, and you should ask him how much he squats. So. <laughs> John, so. how much can you squat? Uh, my best ever in a competition was 595 at the Arnold here in Columbus. So you can squat three of me. Yes. yes. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> All right, one question. Uh, I kind of got to ask it. Powerlifters – and lifters in general are known for their their grunt or their. <laughs> I gotta ask, what is there is there a useful purpose for the grunt or the the ex, exhale of air or, or or talk about the grunt a little bit? Whoever uh, whoever wants to jump in. Um, yeah, when you do a lift, whether it be the bench squat, deadlift, or any lift in the gym, you are supposed to have um, a tight core, and the way you do that is by pulling in a lot of air. They call it the Valsalva maneuver. Um, and whether you keep that air in or not throughout the entire lift, a lot of people don't. And the proper time, if you are to get rid of that air, is on the when you're finishing the lift, whether it's the bench squat or deadlift. And that is what results in, you know, lots of funny faces with the lifters as well as sounds that you may hear coming out of people. Yeah, grunt might be an understatement for yes. some people out there. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, a... definitely, that's definitely true. I, what I always tell people is if you take a two-liter bottle of Coke before it's opened, it's under a lot of pressure. It's very hard to squeeze. That's what you want to simulate when you're lifting to maintain that tightness. As soon as you open it, you can just crush that thing, and that's exactly what you don't want when you have 500 pounds on your back. So so breathing it into your core and maintaining that tightness is what helps you a lot to move some weight around. And I've been talking to John Downing, head coach of the Ohio State powerlifting team, and David Young, a Ph.D. student in biomedical engineering and member of the powerlifting team. And we close this week with baseball. So the Cincinnati Reds are terrible. They have the, they're tied for the second worst record in baseball. And if you head up north to Columbus, the Clippers are good, but it's hard to get behind a minor league team. Unless it's Diamond Dog Night, but they don't have those often enough. So the, the Clippers, big league affiliate, the Cleveland Indians are kind of carrying the torch for the state of Ohio this year. And they are really one of the feel-good teams of the season. They're in first place uh, with, contrary to previous good Indian teams, they're pitching, leading the way. Yeah, we called up Zach Meisel from The Plain Dealer and Cleveland.com to talk about how they've managed to exceed expectations. They've been pretty steady. Uh, obviously, they had a 14-game winning streak, a franchise record. And since then, they, they haven't been nearly up to that standard, and then they've struggled at times. So it's been been a little bit of some up and down, but uh, they, they've been pretty steady for the most part, and they've been in first place for a few months now. Um, and they've it's it's weird that they've gotten contributions from everywhere. I mean, the offense has been one of the best in baseball. The starting staff is, is heralded as one of the best in baseball, and their bullpen just got better with the addition of Andrew Miller at the trade deadline. So. 
uh, they, they finally, it looks like there are a few weaknesses on this team, and, and I think uh, it shows. I mean, it's, it's hard to stay in first place as long as they have when you do have glaring holes. The starting lineup has been solid this season. Corey Kluber is 11-8 and eight right now, former Cy Young winner. No surprise there. But are you surprised with the emergence of Danny Salazar this season? He's been struggling a little bit as of late, but as a season as a whole, he's been playing really well. Yeah, he's he's been the guy that really took the, the next step. And for a while, it's been two years ago, we saw Corey Kluber emerge as a Cy Young winner, and, and that kind of came out of nowhere. And then the year after, we see Carlos Carrasco blossom into to one of the better starting pitchers in baseball. And Danny Salazar had his best year last year as well, but this year he really started to take a step forward. He, he's had some elbow issues the last few weeks. Uh, the Indians expect him to come back from the disabled list pretty soon. But um, he, he was he led the American League in ERA for a while. He's got one of the nastiest split change off-speed pitches in, in the league. It's just impossible to hit when he's locating it. And he throws really hard, so... He, he's young, and he gives this rotation just uh, another level when, when he's on to, to pair with Kluber and Carrasco and, and Trevor Bauer when he's pitching well, too. And then in the bullpen, the Indians made a big move right around the trade deadline for relief pitcher Andrew Miller from the Yankees when it seemed like the Yankees were selling off all of their, their stars and their assets for prospects. How big of a, a trade was the Andrew Miller trade for the Indians? It was important. The Indians' bullpen was, was probably their main weakness. Uh, most of the season, and, and it was it was a matter of they could get the, the starting pitchers could get six or seven innings most nights, but and Cody Allen was reliable in the ninth inning, but it was just getting to that ninth inning that was proving to be such a problem. And Brian Shaw had his ups and downs. Uh, the Indians cycled through Zach McAllister and Jeff Manship and uh, a number of left-handed relievers. So you bring in Andrew Miller, who's left-handed, who's pitched in the ninth inning, the eighth inning, the postseason. Uh, he's done it all. He's battle-tested. He's widely regarded as one of the best relievers in baseball. And you bring him in, pair him with Cody Allen, and all of a sudden it makes everyone else's life easier because Shaw can pitch the seventh. You've guys like Dan Otero and Kyle Crockett to pitch earlier in the games. So when the starting rotation is pitching like it should, and it's struggled a little bit lately, uh, it makes the game that much shorter. And then you just turn it over to Miller and Allen, and then you go home. Back in the 90s, Indians fans were kind of known as being famously bandwagon. When their, when their team was rolling, they were all on board. What's the feeling in Cleveland right now? Is, is Cleveland back on board with the Indians now that they're in first place, or is there still a little hesitation? Yeah, it, it's, it's somewhere in the middle. There's, there's definitely some hesitation still. Uh, attendance was creeping up. The Indians have been near the bottom of the league in attendance the last few years. It was, it's been creeping up over the last month or two, especially after that 14-game winning streak. They sold out a few games, which is rare unless it's opening day or the postseason in Cleveland. I, I think the Cavs championship helped a little bit, kind of boosted morale in the city. I think it made people have the feeling of, you know what, maybe the Indians aren't just going to blow this, and maybe they actually do stand a chance because we've witnessed it with the Cavaliers. So. I think people do believe. I think they've been in first place long enough where people realize, okay, this isn't just a fluke. This team has some staying power. But at the same time, I mean, they're not selling out every night. Uh, TV and radio ratings are way up, but they had a series against Minnesota last week, where Monday through Thursday, where they weren't drawing 30,000. It was closer to 15 to 20,000 a night. So they'll do well on the weekends. They'll do well when they have promotions. Um, and I'm sure they'll do better 
as the season gets closer to its conclusion and, and if they're still in first place. Zach Meisel covers the Indians for Cleveland.com and the Plain Dealer. Thanks as always, Zach. My pleasure, guys. Thank you. And that will do it for this week's episode of After the Score. You can find an archive of old episodes at WOSU.org slash After the Score and on WOSU's public media mobile app. You can also give us a shout-out on Twitter at After the Score. Until next week, I'm Steve Brown. And I'm Thomas Bradley.